0: Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Fidelity International Investment Director Tom Stevenson is back on Fidelity Connects today. A new report out of the Office for National Statistics reported that during the height of the COVID-19 pandemic in 2020, UK GDP shrank to 11%, a number not seen in over 300 years, Though their economy bounced back to pre-pandemic size late last year, inflation is running hot at 10.1% in July, and as Tom notes, is projected to hit its highest level in nearly 50 years next year at 18.6%. So with the ongoing energy crisis in Europe, global droughts, and a summer rally that is appearing to fade, what is next for equity markets? Tom joins host Pamela Ritchie today to unpack all of this and more, including UK labour supply shortages fueling high prices for goods like food a hawkish Bank of England monetary policy driving a decline in demand for UK housing, and how the UK economy appears to be in better shape than continental Europe. Today's podcast was recorded on August 23, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates.
1: Tom Stevenson joins us now from London. Great to see you, Tom. How are you?
2: Hi, Pamela. Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me on.
1: Glad to have you join us here. So is it actually perhaps getting so bad that it might be good? Because it does look bad.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you're not wrong. I mean, there's been an absolute deluge of data this week. I mean, just today we've had purchasing managers index data for all the sectors, services, manufacturing, across Europe, uh, in the UK, uh, in, in the US, and without exception, they have been poor. Demand is slowing, consumption is slowing, confidence is slowing, and we know what the, the cause is, that the, behind all of this is this soaring inflation. You mentioned in your opening comments there some of these predictions for inflation here in the UK, which are pretty eye-watering. Uh, I mean, uh, there was a report from City. Which I think is the one you're referring to. Which yeah, I didn't
1: want to say the number, but it, I mean, it's very—it is eye-watering. Yeah.
2: Yeah, eighteen point six percent is is their forecast for inflation in the new year. The actual official figure that we've just had was uh, ten point one percent. So that was the first time that that inflation has been in in double digits for for forty years. If we were to hit that eighteen point six percent inflation figure. That would be higher, actually, than in 1979 after that, the second oil price crisis uh, following the Iranian revolution. So that's quite something, you know, I mean, I, I don't think anyone can quite, quite believe these figures. Can we get that far? Yes, we can. And the reason we can is because of the the, the soaring cost of, of heating. Uh, we've got uh, an announcement on the price cap, the, the gas household gas price cap is due this week uh, on Friday. That's go- that's going to make some sobering reading as well.
1: And I think you would mentioned that, that France has done that. Um, we're watching growth numbers out of Germany. It is really a difficult, but then actually this morning we saw the US number <laughs> come out uh, on the PMI side of things and it also looked dismal. So it's an interesting, we've got we think rate hikes ahead through the month of September. I wonder if you can just sort of outline how, how maybe less plausible some of that looks right now, or at least to the extent that we have been trained to think they were going to be.
2: Yes, I mean, it was interesting, wasn't it, to see, uh, you know, there was this lag between the announcement of the European and the UK PMI data this morning. And then uh, a few hours later, we had, we had the US uh, data. And you know, in that period between the two, looking at the currency movements was 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 quite instructive because to start with, things looked so bad in Europe. Everyone assumed that this week we've got Jackson Hole coming up. Of course, maybe we'll we'll talk about that. But everyone assumed that at Jackson Hole uh, we were going to get some pretty hawkish commentary from Jerome Powell at, at, at the Fed, talking about you know keeping the pressure on, raising interest rates. Then of course we got those us pmi figures and cast some doubt actually doesn't it over whether even the fed will be able to see through the kind of interest rate hikes that uh, that they're talking about so comes back to your original question are things getting so bad that maybe they're good well that's an interesting that is an interesting question because it feels to me like some of these expectations about interest rates, and we are expected to see them rising in Europe, in the U.K., in the U.S. I just wonder how many of those we will actually see if the slowdown in the economy starts to do some of the work on inflation that, that the central banks would otherwise have to do.
1: Right, right. And I mean, that, it's absolutely but one of the one of the plausible ways of it of it coming down, ultimately, although all of the central banks that we're referencing here have promised to essentially hike into weakness, which yeah. which is what this is. Um, and I think I think you even looked up the dates of the of the various central banks, you know, and when they're set to make their announcements. But they're they're sort of back to back through the months of September.
2: Yeah, they are, absolutely they are. Um, I, I, we get the ECB first uh, in end of the first week of September, I think the eighth. Uh, then mid of the month, we've got the Bank of England and then third week of September, we've got the we've got the Fed. So it's going to be fairly relentless week after week. It's going to be a very, very busy month on on monetary policy. And of course, we get a we get a taster of that this week with the Jackson Hole Symposium in. in yeah, well, I mean, I think. Um, uh, now if you'd asked me a few hours
1: ago. <laughs> uh, you know, it really feels like there's scripts being ripped up all over the place. Yeah. It's kind of been changing Maybe even the script speak, is but, being ripped up. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean I think the expectation was clearly that um Jerome Powell would stand up on Friday, which is uh when he's when he's due to speak and would say, um, you know, we will raise as far as we have to and for as long as we have to to get on top of inflation. And so I think that. That sector, well, the, the the conventional wisdom is that that September hike will be another three quarter point hike. Um, I, you know, and I still think that's probably the likely outcome because I mean the U.S. has the advantage that it is fundamentally a stronger economy than we've got here in in Europe and the U.K. But we saw some very interesting data today out of the U.S. with those new house starts. Yes. um yes. was it a twelve and a half percent fall um okay. in new house yeah. starts in in july annualized rate twelve and a half percent fall I think the expectation was a two and a half percent fall so that was um that was a very interesting sign of 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 a slowdown even before we got those um p m i um numbers which were which were really weak i mean the services i think were down at forty four in you know fifty is that near fifty
1: yeah
2: no nowhere near.
1: So what of the housing market in the UK, actually?
2: The housing market in the UK is at a really interesting sort of juncture. Uh, It it feels like, you know, again, if you'd asked me a few weeks ago, I would say that the demand was really strong. People were still buying houses. It's kind of gone off the boil in the last few weeks. And what's taken it off the boil in part is this realisation that the Bank of England is serious about um, raising interest rates. They are, you know, they're, they're one and three quarter percentage points at the moment. They're expected to go up to three percent pretty quickly. What people are finding is that when they come to uh, renew their mortgages, when their fixed rate deals run out, they're getting some pretty eye-watering uplifts in the fixed rates that they're able to to achieve. So when people are on fixed rates, they're fine. When they come to an end, uh, really, for the first time in years, you know, a decade, they're having to pay more and sometimes significantly more when they come to renew.
1: So you have a leadership decision coming up for the Conservative Party early part of September. Can you please comment on on Brexit and also on the fact that it looks like both France and Germany, if, if they're not in a recession, extremely close to one, just sort of getting the lay of the land of the political situation and also really the economic situation for Europe.
2: Yes. Well, so uh, we, we've we've got a very interesting two week period ahead of us. I mean, we've, we find out on the fifth of September who the next who the next prime minister is. So they are still very much in this period of addressing their comments at a very narrow subset of the population. So the the, the members of the Conservative Party who will be voting for. For the next uh, leader. Now, so
1: not the broad that is, population that, that in some cases is, is having an incredible amount of pain. I mean, you're looking at all the union strikes. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So that is not the, the the people who are going to vote for the prime minister are genuinely not representative of the country as a whole. So you have to take with us with a pinch of salt what the what these two candidates are saying because they're talking to a very narrow uh, constituency of people. Once. We've got a leader and uh, they, that they will pivot very quickly to addressing the the, the needs of a, of a country which is frankly going through a real cost of living crisis. And you mentioned Brexit there. One of the reasons why there is a cost of living crisis is because of inflation. And one of the key drivers of inflation actually is the inability of businesses to find sufficient um, workers. And that's been a problem that's been with us for the last five or six years um since brexit and it is a consequence of brexit i don't you know i think it, it's not a it's not a particularly controversial thing to say now that right. brexit is having a really you know difficult impact on on the uk economy now we're not alone in that you mentioned france and germany right. they are on the point of recession i mean clearly uh the the the, the rest of continental europe is in a very difficult position economically, largely because of its reliance on Russian oil and gas. So, I
1: just bring to to that overall question of Brexit, Germany, France, the question of immigration. I mean, we saw Germany, was it three years ago, open the doors to those that were coming from mostly from the Middle East coming in. And a million people were led into Germany. Hmm. Controversial at the time, but at, at the same time, forming a part of the economy that apparently was needed do you see even after the second world war in the uk lots of people from the caribbean for instance immigrated and were allowed to immigrate you know the doors were opened up essentially do you see that sort of policy afoot to to solve that
2: well it would be slightly uh, odd to shut the doors and then to open them up again but it is kind of happening you're right that, um, there, that there is a special um, visa scheme for um, seasonal workers, for example, because one of the problems we have, one of the reasons why food costs are, are rising so quickly uh, is we just don't have enough people to pick the crops. So, you know, they are, there are, measures are being taken to make it easier for certain sectors of the workforce to, to, to come in. It's a rather confused picture. Isn't it? I mean, you know, on the one yeah, hand, yeah. I mean, and the
1: world, global picture is too. Do, do you feel there is a little bit of a, and again, this goes to sort of how one might look at investing. Is there a bit of a tipping point here in the UK, Europe? I mean, I, I might argue through large swaths of the world, but um, does it feel like that to you?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, interesting you should say that because I, I, I mean, I do think that I do think that the the, the sort of political landscape backdrop. Does change every sort of 30 years or so, and I I can remember you know when I was very young, you know, and we sort of came out of the 1970s, and the Labour Prime Minister at the time, um, James Callaghan, uh, just before Margaret Thatcher was was elected as Prime Minister in in, in 1979, he 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 made a you know famous uh, comment about you know sometimes there is a sea change in politics, and there's nothing you can do about it, and You know, I think we are definitely seeing that uh, in in the UK because of the cost of living crisis, because of years of uh, austerity uh, in terms of pay uh, restraint, uh, for example, because of perceived failures of privatization. I'm thinking about the water. We've had lots of scandals recently about, you know, water companies, you know, pushing sewage into the rivers and the sea. It just feels like what people will accept as, as normal and acceptable is changing. So I, it's going to be a very interesting couple of years. We, the new prime minister, when he or she, likely to be she, takes over uh, at the end of next week, the Conservative Party enjoy a, a, a large majority. I mean, they've got an 80, 80 seat majority. There's no way that that uh, she or he will be forced into calling an early election. So. They're safe for the next two years but i'd be I would be quite surprised and this is not you know, I'm not making a political statement here it's just a statement of fact. I would be quite surprised if there were not a change of government in two years because of that sea change it's a very interesting political situation
1: very interesting and i I, I wonder if anyone else in this conversation joining us here today would admit that they know who James Callahan is because of the crown. But anyway, that's that's how I know him. So <laughs> exactly, right? You just i of like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> the crown. Um, anyway, there we go. It's out there. So very interesting on, wouldn't mind looking a little bit at sort of what the bond markets are saying about everything, because that story has been very interesting to watch. And it has also changed quickly, actually. We've seen spreads be very, very wide. We've seen the story change. There's been an evolution there. What what are you looking to sort of across the bond markets for various signals on, on you know, maybe what it means for equities going forward?
2: Yes. Okay. So, I mean, there are a few different aspects there, aren't there? I mean, I think in terms of, uh, you know, government bonds, what we have definitely seen is is an inversion of the yield curve. So, short-term bond yields are Higher than longer-term bond yields. That is traditionally a signal of economic trouble ahead. So we're seeing that. We've seen in the corporate bond market. We've seen something of a sort of blowing out of um, spreads between government bonds and corporate bonds. And again, that is a signal that people are uh, have shifted their they've they've shifted their gaze from worrying about inflation to worrying about recession. And I think that that is that is the principal concern now and obviously one leads to the other and they're they're related but i think that investors generally are more concerned with the prospect of a recession and it could be quite a long one here in the uk so i think you mentioned in your introductory comments that uh, that gdp actually fell um in in the second quarter that was a bit unexpected the expectation is that there'll be a bit of a bounce back in the third quarter over over the summer even that, I think, is in doubt now, because the Bank of England then said in the fourth quarter, they expect to see a contraction in, in the economy mm-hmm. and for that to continue throughout next year, throughout 2023. So if we got, a, if we got a fi- five quarters of contraction, that would be the longest period of contraction since the financial crisis. It wouldn't be as deep as the financial crisis. Right. That, was a, that was a deeper recession. But it will certainly be a long one, and I think that you know we are, uh, as investors, we're just getting our heads around what what that means, and it will have implications in 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 all areas. It will have implications in the equity market, in the housing market, in the bond market.
1: When you and I uh, spoke a couple of days ago, just to sort of flush out some of the things that might might bring up, but, you know, all of this data came out today. Of course, we didn't know, <laughs> so we we did talk about just areas where you can visibly see certain types of cracks and uh, gone through a few of those points here, but, but actually even luxury, which is, which is supposed to be somewhat recession proof. There was an interesting sort of anecdote or illustration, I think that you'd found there
2: yeah so this is i think i think we were talking about the the prices of um luxury watches is that, is yeah. that what we, yeah it was watches yeah. that's right yeah That there's been an an absolute fall in the in in the, like a 50 percent fall in the in the in the prices of secondhand luxury watches and i think it's been driven by china and actually we haven't talked about china we've talked no, we
1: haven't,
2: about yeah. Talked a lot about europe and north america but china has been very interesting this week so china's very much been on my radar this week from the perspective of the the property sector because I think it was yesterday we saw uh this cut in uh mortgage rates uh in China it's the second the that's second right. one with, this year and which is a real indication uh of the seriousness with which the authorities in Beijing are taking
1: the... yeah, I mean some people have just given up paying their mortgages too I mean that's yeah. sort of the other side of that story isn't it
2: yeah I mean, I I I mean, I came across some really sort of you know, breathtaking, uh, stats um, when I was looking into this uh, the property sector in, in in China. 90 million empty apartments in China. 90 million. So that you know that is enough to house the entire population. Well more than the entire population of any European country, you know, 90 million. And
1: Canada could fit in in those apartments about three three times over, roughly. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. So, you know, I think that and I think that, you know, everyone's focus has been on inflation, uh, interest rates and possible recession. And we've kind of taken our eye off the ball of the Chinese property sector now, you know in the same way that as you say surely the british government is not going to allow the price cap to rise well the price cap is going to rise from 1200 pounds for for the average heating bill six months ago to perhaps five and a half thousand pounds next april those are the projections
1: Per, per year right per
2: year per year per household average household That's completely unsustainable. And and as as you said, when we were chatting about this before, you know, surely the, the, the government will not allow that. In the same way, the conventional wisdom is, well, surely the Chinese government is not going to allow the collapse of an industry, real estate, which accounts for up to a third of Chinese GDP, either directly or indirectly. It's such a fundamentally important sector for the Chinese economy and therefore for the global economy. Surely it won't be. But I think that, you know, while we've been focused on inflation, interest rates, recession over here, there's that going on as well. So
1: it's a lot to think about. And and I mean, obviously, we have no idea whether it will or won't allow that. It is a highly centralized government, so it has more control than perhaps other governments to, to do what it needs to do or wants to do. But at the same time, we hear a lot about diversification of Chinese wealth, household wealth, and and how actually the stock market can come into that story to to have it not all in your house, to have it somewhat diversified into a more robust capital markets side of things, which is which is one of the arguments of why the Chinese equity markets, you know, have real sort of future potential and propulsion in that way. I'm I'm fascinated to see how, how all of this settles. Yeah.
2: Yes. Well, I mean there are, and, and there are huge um reserves of savings uh in 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 China and yes. a lot of it is directed at the property market but it equally it could be redirected to the to to the equity market. So, yes, I mean I'm absolutely not, you know, I'm I'm not one of these sort of fundamental bears about about China. I think there's 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 great potential there as well.
1: Yeah, fascinating. So, in terms of the investment case of how things I mean, is really the story out of some of the numbers that we saw today that that interest rates may not be able to rise as much as feared, essentially? Is that is that sort of and therefore what might that mean for investing across Europe?
2: Well, I mean, I think I, I think that is a, that is a plausible case that the most hawkish expectations for interest rates simply will not be able to be fulfilled because, Uh, the slowdown in the economy will do a lot of the work uh, for the central banks in reducing inflation. So um, so I think that's a that's a potential positive. That is that is things being so bad that they actually turn out to to be good. I think when you look within the stock market, uh, and I think that would be a positive for the stock market. I mean, certainly we saw that today. The S&P 500 was was in positive territory today, largely on the on the on the sort of re- it's a, almost a relief rally that you know maybe the Fed is not going to be quite so hawkish tomorrow uh, or on Friday when uh, when Jay Powell stands stands up to speak. But we're at a very interesting juncture in stock market terms, bringing it back to the to the to the markets because we've had this remarkable rally since the middle of June. The S and P 500 has clawed back about 53, 54 percent of all that it lost in that six month bear market from the January peak to the to the June uh, trough. So it's been a remarkable um, recovery. We had Norges, the um, the Norwegian um, sovereign wealth fund uh, uh, last week, talking about the unsustainability of that uh, rise. I mean, they announced a big loss in the first half year and their chief executive uh, was saying, you know, "I, I, I don't believe this this rally. And that's a key question for investors, you know, because this 50 percent recouping of the losses is right at the top end of what we would normally see with a bear market rally. You know, if markets do continue to rise, then I think the conclusion we have to be is have to come to is that we are in a in a renewed bull market. It doesn't feel to me like that's likely, but that is a definite possibility. We might be surprised on the upside.
1: We might be surprised. And then, you know, and, and again, with these numbers going into this. OK, so this these two questions have to do with energy from a couple of different angles. So one is what is the expected shift in the UK economic policy with inflation at record highs and today's reduction in gas supply from Russia? And then and there's a question on sort of ESG. We might talk about that in a sec. But what, what do you think of UK economic policy? What sort of shifts might might be in the hopper, if you will?
2: Yes, I mean the situation here in the UK is different from that in uh, continental Europe. We are much less reliant on imports from Russia, so that that does put us in a better in a better place. We have some reserves from from the, from North Sea production, and uh, you know we have a, and we have a reasonably well established wind industry as well. So in fact, just this morning I was I was hearing about a huge um, wind farm in off. Scotland, um, which went into production today, and I can't remember the exact figures, but it was it, it will generate enough energy to, you know, to, to, to fuel a, a small town. I mean, it's a really massive. Right. Um, so I do think that this shift towards more sustainable energy is, is clearly underway. And we're starting from a, a, a better starting point than in many countries in Europe, um, you know, notably Germany and Italy.
1: Interesting. And yet, from energy prices, the inflation numbers are projected to be what, what City said. I mean, it, it's so interesting. Okay, font, let's round this out on, can you speak about the Green Deal in the UK and where, where ESG is heading, that type of investing?
2: Yes, I mean we're in an interesting position at the moment because I, I think that when people are worried about things as they are at the moment, they are less inclined to think so much about about ESG. So I think it it slightly goes on the back burner in the short term, but it is clearly an enormous uh, investment opportunity and challenge in the longer term uh, as we as we go forward. Uh, and it's not just the E of ESG. I think you know right. the. The, the s and the g are also clearly important but again when people are concerned about a cost of living crisis they're concerned about a wobbly stock market that is not actually top of their list of priorities and i think that's what we're hearing from from clients and uh and just just the market generally is that um there's less interest than maybe there was six months or so ago but it will come back
1: yeah yeah, might just be on the back burner a little bit. Um, I think that's all we had. A quick thought, if just sort of a minute to go on on the on the pound, on the direction of the pound. Again, the currency moves this morning were were um, you feel like you you could turn that into a, a film or something. But yeah, what, what ultimately sort of comes into well, you.
2: I've been slightly surprised because what you would expect is that the, the the strong inflation numbers, uh, the expectation that the Bank of England will push harder on interest rates you would expect that to be a support for the pound. I think right. the fact that it's gone the other way, it's lost about a percent against the dollar over the last week, that is an indication of uh, some anxiety about the health of the British economy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, well, let's see, with all these numbers in, it may, it may, as you say, point to a different story for the interest rate trajectory in the next few months. So grateful that you could join us. Tom, it's great to see you, and a lot will change probably before we speak next. Next Absolutely.
2: month Thanks, Pamela.
0: Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. You can visit fidelity.ca for more information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter. Thanks again. See you next time.